A reading from the book of Proverbs. When one finds a worthy wife, her value is far beyond pearls. Her husband, entrusting his heart to her, has an unfailing prize. She brings him good, not evil, all the days of her life. She obtains wool and flax and works with loving hands. She puts her hands to the distaff and her fingers ply the spindle. She reaches out her hands to the poor and extends her arms to the needy. Charm is deceptive and beauty fleeting. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her a reward for her labors and let her works praise her at the city gates. The word of the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Blessed are you who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, for you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your home, your children like olive plants around your table. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Concerning times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need for anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come, like a thief in the night. When people are saying peace and security, then sudden disaster comes upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness for that day to overtake you like a thief. For all of you are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us stay alert and sober. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, 
Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus told his disciples this parable. A man going on a journey called in his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to a third one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. Immediately the one who received five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Likewise, the one who received two made another two. But the man who received one went off and dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came forward, bringing the additional five. He said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received two talents also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. Then the one who had received the one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a demanding person, harvesting where you did not plant and gathering where you did not scatter. So out of fear I went off and buried your talent in the ground. Here it is back. His master said to him in reply, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather, where I did not scatter. Should you not and then have put my money in the bank? so that I could have got it back with interest on my return. Now then, take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will grow rich. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And throw this useless servant into the darkness outside, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Since you were faithful in small matters, I will give you great responsibilities. Come, share your master's joy. 
This is the words of the king representing Jesus, representing God in this parable, which in the Gospel of St. Matthew is the longest parable in the Gospel of Matthew, which comes towards the end of everything that Jesus has been doing to establish in a visible as well as an invisible manner the reality of the kingdom of heaven, which he declared at the outset, is at hand. And as the weight of what he has come to realize is coming nearer, he now discloses to us a parable that really is a revelation of what it looks like to participate in divine love and mercy. And as we hear this parable, we hear the elements of both good and bad. And how do we get to this? What constitutes receiving what we all hope to hear at the end of our life's journey or at the second coming of the Christ in great glory at the end of all things? We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come now and share in your master's joy. That's what we hope to hear. Well, how will we arrive at such a response or such a reward? Well, we have an insight from the first reading from the very last chapter of the book of Proverbs, a worthy wife, a description of a worthy wife, a wife that would be any man's dream if he could procure one, if he could, if he could get one. And what is the attribute of this worthy wife far more exceeding than her beauty, external, and whatever else that is becoming in comeliness about her. She's one who fears the Lord reverentially and is obedient to the will of God. Therein lies her value. Therein lies the true treasure. She's diligent about the duty entrusted to her in the context of her vocation, or shall we say, state in life. In this case, when you see someone who does not dilly-dally around, there's not much idleness in this woman as we hear being presented to us. She is always seeking and seizing opportunities to see to the needs of her family, of her husband, to such an extent that by the time all is said and done, a man who, of such a woman who is at the, at the gate, he is himself enamored and admired by his peers for having such a woman in his life to be his companion, to be his support in the ways of God. And so when we take that insight and look at today's gospel parable, we can recognize two out of the three modeled the same disposition. They were not slothful. They weren't lazy. They recognized and were grateful for what the master had entrusted to them. They referred to as talents, five talents, two talents, one talent. In the ancient times, in the time of Jesus, a talent was equivalent to a very sizable amount of money. It would be the equivalent, one talent would be the equivalent of 
up to 50 pounds of gold or silver. Now let's break that down a little bit further. One talent, in those stand, in the, according to that standard of weight, would be equal to 15 to 20 years of daily wages every single day for up to 15 to 20. That's one talent. So as we begin to gain insight about the, the significance of what this represents, we also begin to get insight as to how weak the excuse of the third servant was when he renders and manifests such slanderous accusations against the master. Where does he come away with this idea of him being demanding and doing this, doing all of these underhanded things to acquire his wealth? God alone knows. And since this is the revelation of God for us in the Lord Jesus, he's disclosing that what this servant is actually presenting is more telling about what's going on within him than what's actually happening in the reality of who God is and what God invites all of humanity to participate in, divine love and mercy. This is the reality of God. Five talents, he made another five. Two talents, he made another two. And when this last one buries it in the ground, and this is where he was exposed. When he was asked for, an, for some type of good, can you, what do you have to say for yourself? He say, his, his own words condemn him. If this indeed was the case, now where you come up with this from, you can, you can kind of hear the king saying, <laughs> If you knew, if you, if you knew that I harvest where I did not plant and gather where I did not scatter, then should this not have at least motivated you to put the money in the bank so that I couldn't gotten interest for it? If this indeed was the case, but since it wasn't the case and isn't the case, then nor now, what then? You shall now receive what you have sowed. Where do you and I receive the talent? How does the church understand the talent? In our understanding, and this is where the English word, when we hear someone is very talented, we speak in terms of innate gifts and abilities that they have for a certain craft or work or what have you, whatever it might be. The church understands the talent as all-encompassing. It represents the very existence of a person in everything that that existence pertains to. What, what comprises a person created to the image and likeness of God? A divine soul, a human nature, a body, and a soul. The soul alone has the faculties that most mirror God. Memory, will, and intellect. Not too long ago we heard the greatest of all the commandments you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second, like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. In this parable is addressed to us, the disciples of Jesus. We were in, we were, this, this, in, this talent was invested in us. We received it when we were baptized. It was supercharged, if you will. It became supernaturally activated. 
So if we think in terms of the talents, two and relationship to five, how might we see them? How might we be able to interpret them in terms of the sacramental economy of the church? Well, we could see the two talents as the body and the soul. And then the additional three, which would give us five, the sacrament of baptism, the sacrament of the uh, first Eucharist, making our first Holy Communion, and the third confirmation, being strengthened with everything one needs to effectively and faithfully attend to the works of the Master. When we begin every Mass, sometimes we, and usually is the case here, we express our sorrow, we humbly submit ourselves to the Lord to prepare ourselves by acknowledging our sins. We say, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. Think about how many times you've gone to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. How often can you recall that you have actually confessed the sin or the sins of omission, that which you have failed to do? I would venture a guess that if we were to take a survey, most of us focus on what we have done. We don't tend to realize the fit, the, the, how we've, how we've uh, omitted, what we've omitted, what we've overlooked or not done, which we could have done with the grace that God has invested in us and gives us on a daily basis. And that's really at the heart of this parable. This servant, for whatever reason, has established a mindset in relationship to his master as being this very demanding and miserly and uh, just unreasonable person, shady person. Where it comes from, as I said before, God alone knows. But many people, unfortunately, entertain such thoughts. They think of God as having it in for them, wanting to put them down for any little thing. And so we see now a distinction between the proper fear of the Lord, a reverential regard for God, which opens one to the will of God and docility to the movement of God's Spirit in their life to perform works of charity in season and out of season relative to the type of fear that is paralyzing. And this is where he is. He put it in the dirt. Now, God knows how significant and how challenging it is to acquiesce to his ways, to cultivate his way of thinking and seeing ourselves and others and the whole of the, relation, of, of the creation in relationship to who God truly is. Jesus is a revelator. He is the definitive revelation of the invisible God. He is the image. So as the, the, the parable discloses, after being away for a long time, such as right now, we seem, it seems like, when is he coming back? It seems like taking forever. Why? Because the Lord wants everyone to have ample opportunity and time to invest what they have received, to give back, to participate 
in the divine love and mercy that are always at work in creation. Now, how do we assure that we will get the favorable response from our good and gracious God? By investing ourselves in forgiveness and compassion as opposed to begrudging people, holding grudges, burying it in the depths of our souls to the extent that we don't even want having, we, we don't want to have anything to do with it. And yet that, that by doing so, though, it begins to corrupt the goodness that God has laid in us. Instead of bringing it out, working it out, we tend to harbor grudges that can undermine the way God has intended us to be. In fact, it reminds me of Adam and Eve after the fall. What was their excuse? What was their response to God when he says, where were you? I was looking for you. Well, we hid ourselves. We were afraid because we were naked. Oh, similar here. I was afraid of you. So I hid. I buried the talent of my life in the ground. Not a good move. It wasn't a good move then, it's not a good move now. But once it's exposed, once God saw and obviously was aware of what Adam and Eve did, what did he then do? He gave them provisions that they would now have to operate within in order to produce the fruitfulness of the kingdom that God assures us we are capable of with him. So let us take this time today to reflect upon the talent God has entrusted to us, has given to us, that gives meaning and purpose to our lives, that undergirds the stewardship of the possessions of the king that we will necessarily have to give back. And when we do, we notice As far as God is concerned, it's really not about how much, if you double what, if you double the amount of money in your bank account, or it really isn't about the material things that He wants you and I to participate in. Did you catch that? He says to each of the servants who were diligent in their work, what does He say to them? Come, share your master's joy. When's the last time we've had a prolonged sense of joy in this world gone wrong in sin? When we think of eternal life, we think of that, right? Life without end, without any of the things that are, that are relative to death that we struggle with right now. But the way the Scripture describes what really, really will be the joy, will be the manifestation and the experience of heaven, it's righteousness. It's peace. It's joy. St. Paul says it in his letter to the Romans, chapter 14, verse 17. The kingdom of heaven is not not a matter of food and drink, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Beloved, as we listen to the state of the parish presentation today, Let us understand that the way the church sees the talent, it's all that we are. All that we possess 
as persons that God expects for us to give back in keeping with the example of the one whom he has sent among us, who continues to be with us in mystery as we await the unknown day and time, as St. Paul reminds us, but we are not in the dark because we've been told he will come at a time when no one expects. But we need not fear so long as we have resolutely set ourselves on striving after that which our King is worthy of, which is what? All of my love. You who are so good and deserving of all of my love, I give back to you what you gave to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come now, enter into the joy of your master, of your God, of the one who has loved you into existence. God love you. And with that, I invite Mr. Greg Abdunur to enter the sanctuary to make the presentation on the state of our parish. <laughs>